Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Well, EJ, in the immortal words of Omar Little, you come at the king, you best not miss. Everybody in the AFC West is coming at the king this year, and quite frankly, I don't think the king gives a shit. The Chiefs are still going to be the Chiefs. They still got Pat Mahomes. They still got Andy Reid. They still got Travis Kelsey. They got still, you know, Chris Jones, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. They are still one of the very best teams in the league. We're going to talk about the Tyreek trade. We're going to talk about remaking the receiving core. We're going to talk about the Orlando Brown holdout. I get it. There are concerns. But as far as I know, they have been the kings of this division for well over half a decade, and I don't think it would be wise of us to discount that that's still going to go on in 2022. As far as I'm concerned, until somebody kills the king... They're still the king. Yep, tough to take the crown. That's why it's a thing. And heavy is the head. They had to make some choices. They made some choices. They made a lot of choices this offseason. Um, and for the most part, we're going to talk about it, but pretty good ones. It doesn't put them in a worse spot in any way. And in a lot of ways, it might put them in a better spot overall. And yeah, they were already starting out on top. They didn't do enough to lose that crown in the offseason for sure. And yeah, there's that Pat Mahomes thing. Like, if you've got Pat Mahomes <laughs> and he's healthy, I kind of don't care so much about the rest. Yes, they need to be good and they're better than that. So that's pretty much the argument for me. Starting off here with, uh, with a look back to 2021, I, you know, as we normally do, I, I do kind of feel like their record maybe is a little bit deceiving because it makes it seem like they were, you know, once again, this dominant Chiefs team the entire year. They did have a little bit of a slide, and there were some times, especially in the middle of the season, where we were like, oh, this doesn't seem right. This this actually seems like maybe we finally hit the wall here. And then the weather got cold, and all of their issues that they were really struggling to iron out earlier in the year seemingly went away overnight you know pat mahomes say what you want about you know some of the the gunslingeriness i guess you know getting the best of him at times he really is good at in-season adjustments and when things when things are wrong when things are not working when he's making mistakes in particular like when he's holding onto the ball too long or he's dropping too deep in the pocket or you know there's certain coverages that that are having success against him He's one of these quarterbacks that you can typically count on him to fix it. 
in the middle of the year. Not a, okay, we're going to go back in the offseason, we're going to figure out, we're going to come back next year stronger than ever. Like, no, he will fix it mid-year. And this has happened three years in a row where he's fallen into bad habits or he's been struggling, and then he was able to turn it on, you know. And that happened again last year. Like, this team legitimately had a ton of problems around early to mid-half of the year. And I think that we did see Pat Mahomes fall into those same bad habits we've talked about over and over again. And then people forget, like, they got absolutely destroyed by the Bills and the Titans in a, within a three-week period. You know, the Chargers beat them. The Ravens beat them in a squeaker. Like, they barely survived the Browns. You know, they had that awful... Uh, I don't even want to call it a football game against the Packers where, you know, everybody was out and it was just a, it was a shit show. It was backup on backup, if I recall correctly. Um, you know, they barely survived the Giants. Like, it was, it was not a fun time. Dicey. <laughs> it was dicey. And then... <laughs> just like this. Well, honestly, you know what the key was, was they're like, oh, there's Gus Bradley over there. He plays cover three 60% of the time. Yeah, we can do something with that. He's never going to change his look. And then they put up 40. And once they put up 40 on the Raiders, it was like they remembered like, oh, we're a good team. Yeah, That's right. We can do this. And then they beat the Cowboys. They beat the Broncos. They you know, beat the Raiders again. They put up 240, bur- 240 burgers in a row in the Raiders in a four-week period. And at that point, then you're like, okay, we're back. We're good. We're on track. So maybe sometimes all you have to do is just play against Gus Bradley and that's all you need to do. Maybe. Um, let's look at the power structure of the Chiefs. This is, again, a very experienced power structure, as you mentioned. Brett Feach has been there for six years already as the GM. You know, more with the organization, obviously, but six as the GM. Andy Reid, 10 years already as head coach. Big Red. He's fast approaching having an equal number of years in Kansas City that he had in Philly. He was in Philly for 14. And we're not we're not that far off from him. You know, when people think of Andy Reid, of, of thinking of him as the Chiefs coach and not of the Eagles coach. Maybe we're already there because he did win a ring for them. But, like, for, for so much of my life, when I thought of Andy Reid, I thought of him in, you know, Midnight Green. And little by little, year by year, I'm like, well, now I'm starting to see him more in red. So, <laughs> he's very close to, to reaching that tipping point. Uh, Dave Tube has been there for every step of the way with Andy in Kansas City, 10 years uh, special teams coordinator also is the assistant head coach. Eric Bieniemy also has been there since day one, 10 years with the org, five at offensive coordinator for them. Some questions about whether or not he was going to get Brock back this year. Um, I don't really know what the hell is going on with that story about the rift between him and Mahomes or whatever the hell. I, I It was a weird story. I, I don't know what was true and what was not. All I know that was true was that it took them a while to decide to bring him back at OC, which was odd for a guy that we've always considered to be, you know, a, a candidate to be a head coach elsewhere. And it took them how long just to bring him back as OC? I don't know. Something's weird there. I just don't know what. Um, now, Steve Spagnola, defensive coordinator. Thank God he's not going anywhere. I don't think that he's in consideration to be a head coach anywhere. Not that he's not a great coach. I just think that he is now in that Wade Phillips realm where he is, you know, the elder statesman DC that's going to stay as a DC and be a great one. And just whenever he wants to ride off into the sunset, he can do that. 
but that is where he's at. That's where he's going to stay. And thank God for the Chiefs on their behalf for that because he is a very, very good defensive coordinator. So tons of experience in this power structure. Um, a lot of these guys have been working together for many, many years at this point, and they are one of the most solid, stable organizations year over year in the entire league. And I don't think people give them credit for that because there are these conversations every year, especially around the enemy. Oh, is he going to stay? Is he going to go? And people just sort of forget that, again, yeah, Brett Veach, six years as GM, but was with the organization before that as well. So it's really, you know, 10 and 10, well, 10 at least, and, you know, 10 for Andy and now 10 for Biennemi. That doesn't seem possible because, again, for the last three or four years, it's always going to leave. No, he stayed, and he's had the same job for the last five. Spagnolo is the new kid on the block at four years, came in to replace, uh, you know, former DC and, and really stabilize the defense, but feels like he's been there for longer, certainly has been around the league much longer than that. And Tube, same thing. A lot of people don't pay attention. I think it's Tobe, actually, but I don't, I don't know. Anyways, Dave Tobe, the fact that you have five or six people at the top of the organization who have all been there, all been basically doing the same job for the last six to 10 years. That's ridiculous stability in the NFL. And when you start talking about stable organizations, you talk about Steelers. Well, if you look at their coaching staff, certainly their OC, not as stable as the chiefs. You look at the Ravens again, if you do it at the coordinator level, not as stable as the Chiefs. And and it's not the franchise that comes up with when you talk about that. And it should be. Just one thing really quick. We want to thank our sponsor today for helping to make this show possible. And by extension, this entire series possible, Babbel. Babbel is a language learning app that for people like me who really want to become functional speakers of any number of up to 14 different languages, including German, Spanish, French, and even Italian too, this is a really critical app for us. For Bootleg in particular, and of course my other YouTube channel, 30% of our audience is not in the United States. And just within our top five audiences alone, the main spoken languages are Spanish, German, and Portuguese, in addition to, obviously, English. So being able to learn new languages to better connect with our audience while we're traveling around the world and trying to go to different NFL games in different countries, that's a pretty big deal for us. Babbel lessons have been created by over a hundred different linguistics experts, and they're scientifically proven to be effective. And in my opinion, most importantly of all, they also have speech recognition technology to help improve your pronunciation and accent, which, believe me, I know how tricky that can be to master, especially for German. Babbel also gives you access to podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. Plus, it all comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. So if you yourself are interested in learning a second or maybe even third language, right now, if you get a three-month subscription to Babbel at the link in the description below, you'll also get an additional three months for free. That is six months of Babbel language lessons for the price of three. You're going to find all of that at Babbel.com promo code bootleg. Again, that is Babbel.com promo code bootleg to take advantage of that offer. And with that, thank you once again to Babbel. Let's get back to the show. Uh, Assistance-wise, also... <laughs> Tons of experience all over the place, especially Andy Hackett, offensive line coach, 19 years uh, and still 10 with the Chiefs alone. He's another one of these guys that's been with Andy every step of the way. 
Yeah, that one hurts a little bit because I remember Andy being drafted by the Seahawks, and then, of course, he played for the Bears. So with my particular fandom and where I live, strong connection to Andy Eck, and I remember being drafted as a player, and the idea that he's been a coach for almost 20 seasons now is not great for me. Uh, But a great (laughs) coach, um, really good teacher, and you saw that. You continue to see that, right? They had big problems on the offensive line it's one of the reasons they didn't win that super bowl that they were in two years ago and they completely remade and brandon thorne our buddy that's been on the show who does great work with the offensive line just put out is or is putting out his top five at every position across the offensive line and two of the guys that they drafted last year are in the top five at their position after one year reed humphrey and trey smith are both top five on his list and the other guys aren't bad either but that's when you have a guy like andy heck who's a great teacher with a ton of experience and you draft good players that's how quickly they become top players in the nfl or can become top players in the nfl so great coach to lean on to have in the chiefs fold again with that much experience at a position of really great need uh tom melvin is the the tight ends coach 24th year as an nfl coach yeah there's a theme here uh, this is one of my favorites. He's the cousin of current Padres manager and former Major League Baseball catcher Bob Melvin. Blew my mind. I know. You're like, wait, <laughs> the same Melvins? Yes, the same Melvins. Uh, Matt Nagy, senior assistant, QB coach, former Bears head coach. That's what we're going to say about that. Greg Lewis, <laughs> running back okay. coach, uh, former UDFA. Always love shouting out the former UDFAs who had great NFL careers played eight seasons in the NFL with the Eagles and Vikes uh, and is now coaching running backs for the Chiefs on the defense and special team side uh, oh and I had the pronunciation and I got to look it up because I'm going to screw it up but they actually were good enough to put it on their website and I read it and then I forgot it Flahole? Uh, no it's hang on it's right at the top Flajul. Wow, that is not where I would have gone with that. Yeah, I know, which is why I had to go. It's <laughs> Ken Flajul, who is the outside linebackers coach, been coaching since 1977. It's a 45-year coaching career. Okay. Yeah. He started coaching when I was a single-digit ute. My God. Yeah. So. And you're ancient. Yes, I'm just <laughs> dust coming out my ears, and, and he's been coaching since I was, you know, walking around elementary school. Uh, Dave Merritt, the defensive back coach, former NFL and NFL Europe linebacker himself with the Dolphins, Cards, and the Ryan Fire. So experience top to bottom on this staff is extremely strong, I would say. And, you know, mix of former players, guys like Greg Lewis, Merritt, Andy Heck, and mix of long time coaches and you know Andy Reid loves his veterans and that spreads over to the coaching staff too and it gives the Chiefs the ability to do the amount of change they need to do from starting off like they did last year really looking rudderless in a lot of those games Uh, identity was gone their ability to dictate or dominate was clearly out the door and then turn somewhat on a dime mid-season and say, nope, that's over. We're back to throwing up 40 points a game. It comes through us. Thanks for playing. Well, why don't we talk about that uh, you know, roster makeover that you, uh, you alluded to there? 
to me, there's a lot of different reasons why the moves that happened happened, and we'll kind of address them one at a time. The main overarching theme, though, to me, is they didn't have a whole lot of money going into this offseason. They were already kind of up against it. They did uh, kind of restructure Frank Clark uh, to, to open up like about $12 million in cap. And as it stands right now, they are pretty much dead average in the NFL in terms of available cap space at about $11 million. Next year, projected before restructures and extensions, everything like that. Again, they're projected to be dead average in the NFL, about fifteen million available. Keep in mind the Bears have ninety-five, so oh, vast difference it. between the top and average. I think the bottom is at the Saints; they're like sixty over. <laughs> it's the Saints; they're used <laughs> it's to the that. Saints. <laughs> that money doesn't exist to them. They don't give a shit. Um, but, you know, projected the year after that, again, they are projected to be dead average in the league in terms of available cap. That's just what happens when, you know, you, you have a young quarterback that you pay and then those those cap hits start hitting, even though it is a relatively team-friendly deal compared to the rest of the league and they do get flexibility with Mahomes' contract, you still do have to... The, the money still does eventually get paid, you know? Like, it's not like it's completely erased. It's just flexible. Regardless, they have some expensive players. They're not in cap trouble right now, but a lot of the moves they made signal to me that they don't want to be in cap trouble. They're trying to keep themselves from being like the Saints, where they're constantly 60 to 100 million over, and then they got to do all these restructures and everything to, to keep themselves afloat. They don't want to be in that position. They eventually want to get to the point where they can open up to 50 to 60 available and go get somebody like the Raiders just did for virtually their entire offseason or like the Broncos just did or honestly like the Chargers just did. They all had money. They all had fun in March. The Chiefs want to be able to have fun in March, but in order to have fun in March in the future, they had to have not a whole lot of fun in March now. So what they did was Hitchens is gone. Okafor is gone. Traverius Ward is now the number one corner for the 49ers and at least so far, having a good camp. But he's $13.5 million. They did not want to pay that. He's in the Bay. Byron Pringle, uh, more of a, in terms of his value to the offense, more as a blocker than I was as a receiver, I would say. But that's $4 million. They did not want to pay. So he's in Chicago. Daryl Williams is in Arizona. Um, Melvin Ingram is a Dolphin for $4 million. Hughes is in Detroit for roughly two and a quarter. Demarcus Robinson is with the Raiders for about one-something. Tyron eventually signed with the Saints for $9 million. Austin Blythe is with, uh, with the Seahawks for $4 million. The big one, though, Tyreek in Miami is making $30 million a year in Miami. That's what they're paying him. Now, the guarantees make that a deal that they can get out of in a couple seasons, but still, that is thirty million dollars a year which is more by far than the entire Chiefs receiving core makes combined right now even after the MVS signing so they have 11 million now if they tried to re you know move everything around even after the Frank Clark re restructure and they tried to make it work with Tyreek and they tried to make it work with Traverius Ward and Tyron like there's no way. <laughs> There's no way that they could do that without putting themselves in a massive hole next year that they would then again have to grab a bucket 
and take on water and try to get themselves out of. They just didn't want to do that. They don't, they do not want to deal with that. So they let a whole bunch of guys leave. They trusted themselves to use the assets that they're getting back from the Tyreek trade. Cause remember they got two firsts, they got two seconds. Uh, they got a f- two fourth round picks as well. And a 2023 sixth. And of course they don't have to pay him 30 million a year. They trusted themselves to use those assets and use that cap flexibility next year to still build a strong team without having to pay an absolute unbelievable amount of money to retain the guys for this year. So the two overarching themes for all of their quote-unquote losses is cap flexibility and overall they're looking at Pat Mahomes and they're saying, hey, we are paying you all this money. Because we think we can, or we think that you specifically can elevate whoever we put out there. So we're going to give you an entire new receiving court, basically, that's cheaper than the one guy that's gone. We're trusting you to make that work and prove that you can elevate that cheaper receiving court, just like Tom Brady did for all those years, even though Tom's now got a whole bunch of all pros to throw to in Tampa. But that's besides the point, EJ. Completely. So, uh, I, I just I think that that's kind of the overarching message here is they believe in their quarterback and they don't want to be the Saints. This is Brett Veach looking at one player, Tyreek, and saying, this is a fork in the road. Which way do we want to go? Do we pay Tyreek? Do we do all those cap machinations? Do we shift everything around this year and every year after this to keep one guy who's very impactful, has been very impactful in their offense, has been one of the major straws that stirs the drink in Kansas City and and has led them to a lot of success. Do we prioritize and take that guy and dump all the money in his bucket and then do everything again next year to keep doing that? Or do we let him go, get a stack of picks, not have to pay him the 30, which is the biggest deal, and set ourselves up to be middle of the road where we can, again, go all in, you know, do all those moves, make a bunch of space, go sign a bunch of people and say, yeah, this is the year, or not, and stay right in the middle of the road salary-wise. I think that's a lot more fun as a GM as opposed to, well, I just stare at Tyreek and say, yes, Mr. Hill, no, Mr. Hill, all my money goes into your pocket, Mr. Hill. And Brett Veach and presumably Andy Reid, because he has some personnel say too, looked at this and said, no, I think we can go another way here. We can get all of this. We can basically take that money that we would have put in one player and one side of the ball, frankly, and spread that around. We can even that out. We can put a little bit more of it in the defense. We can draft and develop for the wide receiver core. Yeah, we're going to sign a bunch of guys too. It's it's almost the shotgun approach if you look at the folks they brought in. We'll get enough that Pat will have things to work with. He is not going to be bereft weapons. But we can balance the team. We can balance offense and defense. We can balance our money this year and future years. Or we can have Tyreek. And they took one look at that and said, if somebody's willing to pay or in this case, overpay, Tyreek's gone and will take balance. And they did. Looking at how Tyreek was used, too, just from a a schematic standpoint, I I literally just did a film room episode on this, but more from the Miami perspective, 92 of his catches were on routes 10 yards or less past the line of scrimmage. Screens, slants, 
you know, stick routes, like all manner of that quick game stuff. Like I said, halfway through the year, they really leaned into the quick game because they had to. And it worked. Like Tyreek was one of the primary recipients of, of that even though he was kind of bitching about not getting enough targets. It's like, bro, you got 92 catches just doing the short stuff, let alone the deep stuff. So he still got plenty of targets. But you don't necessarily need Tyreek to do that. Sky Moore can do that. Juju can do that. Like, that's what he did in Pittsburgh. Like, he, you know, was an underneath merchant when AB was the number one. Now, in terms of, you know, the the crazy splash plays with Yak. Obviously, nobody else is doing that like Tyreek. But that's not the only way to skin a cat. You can still get explosive plays with what Sky Moore brings to the table with his deep speed and explosiveness. You can still get explosive plays with Tyreek or with Travis Kelsey. You can still get explosive plays with MVS. He's got legit speed as well. Not to mention Juju, I think even though he's not a deep threat, I think that he does bring a little bit of jump ball ability and Pat can throw a fade. You know, he's, you know, the best quarterback in the league. I think he's capable of doing that. So I think that even though Tyreek is a dynamic weapon, what he brings to the table athletically is not replaceable. The production is replaceable. And this combination of Juju and MVS and Mecole and and Sky and obviously Travis, like the 1,200 yards that Tyreek got you, it's not impossible to find a receiver that costs less than $30 million that can get 1,200 yards. I'm sorry. Or even a platoon of receivers that combined cost like $17 million to replace 1,200 yards. When your quarterback is Pat Mahomes, I'm not worried about that. So I, I personally think it was a great trade for the Chiefs. This is not saying that Tyreek is not a great player. He is a great player. He is a unique athlete and a unique weapon that is, in certain ways, impossible to deal with. But if we're just talking about raw production, he's not irreplaceable. You can still get yards with a whole lot of guys that don't make $30 million. So, overall, yeah, I'm good with it. Yeah, there's almost nobody that makes 30 million so that's a good place to start no not even almost there is nobody that makes 30 yeah. million Devonte makes 28 yeah <laughs> and they are taking the shotgun approach to this we're gonna get a bunch of guys like i said we're not sure who's gonna be what who's gonna stick between rookies and and veterans from other places uh you know we're not getting it all in one place we know that we're okay with that we are going to get it we're just not going to do it the same way. We're going to spread it around a little bit more. Uh, could be newer faces, older faces, doesn't matter. We're going to use a combination to approach the same level of production, but we know we're not going to get it in one stroke. And that's what I think a lot of Kansas City fans certainly focused on in the sort of shock and awe after the trade was we could get it all in one swing with Tyreek. Not going to happen that way, but definitely doesn't mean they're not going to get it. They're going to get it. Now, looking at the retentions, obviously, I brought up the the Frank Clark uh, restructure. He's now making like 14 and a half. When he originally signed with Kansas City, it was like 20 million a year over five years. So I would, I guess I would classify that as a, a little bit of a pay cut, which is fair. He's, he has not, he has not been a $20 million a year player for them so far. So has he been a 14 and a half million dollar player? I would still argue maybe not even that, but whatever. It's better than 20. I'll take it. Um <laughs> Now, retentions, we do have Orlando Brown listed because he was franchise tagged. 
But, but <laughs> as of the time of recording this, which is July 28th, like two days into Chiefs camp, by the time this goes live, maybe this situation has been resolved. I, I don't know. Uh, Orlando Brown is a holdout, and he's not being fined as a holdout because he has not signed the franchise tender. So he's listed under retentions as a franchised player, but he hasn't signed it. So he is able to hold out technically without repercussion. He wants to completely break the left tackle market. Now, Tyreek Hill is a better receiver than Orlando Brown is a left tackle. Orlando Brown last year was very average. Gave up a lot of pressures. Gave up more sacks than you hope for from a tackle that's trying to make more than Trent Williams. I, I thought he was average. I would even give you above average. Slightly. Not a whole lot above average. Yeah. Has he been worth the investment that they've made into him just in picks so far? Eh. Maybe. But the fact that I'm not overwhelmingly saying yes right now is a problem. And so if they're not even paying Tyreek, who is a better receiver than Orlando Brown is a tackle, if they're not even paying Tyreek top of market, and they're saying, okay, buy, go, Miami can give you that money, why the fuck would they pay Orlando Brown, you know, $26 million or whatever he's asking for right now? Why would they do that? They're not going to break the tackle market for him when they wouldn't break the receiver market for Tyreek. So, no. Fine, you can hold out. If he wants to hold out all year, that's okay. But, like, this team, we just went over how they don't want to put themselves into cap hell. They want to have resources for next year. If they give him a top-of-market deal that is anything other than being than being able to get out in two years, which I don't even know if he's going to take at this point. Like, okay, if they're paying him $24 million a year, but they can get out of it in 2024, like, fine, whatever. But if he's asking for something that is an absolutely unbelievably take the top off the market type thing, why would they give that to him? I don't think they will. I don't think they should. That's probably the, the bigger part of that is for all the reasons you laid out and for the reason that on the field he has been solid-ish. And if you're talking about solid-ish for exceptional money it doesn't add up so and andy's andy and brett feach are not going to be held over a barrel by a player that they see as eventually replaceable would they rather have him in the fold and playing well this year yeah they would like that stability i'm sure if you asked andy heck he's like yeah let let me keep my left tackle we'll make it work but not at the cost of i must be the highest paid player in the league at my position when I certainly haven't earned that on the field, we're not going to reset the market for that. It doesn't make any sense. And having the Tyreek example so close at another position where player wanted to do the same thing and they eventually said, no, not even you. We're not going to do that for you. And we, we love you. I'm sure they love Orlando Brown and they'd like to keep him, but they're not going to let him pry the top off the can. Like, Teron Armstead got $43 million in guarantees. You think you're going to get more guaranteed money than Teron Armstead? He thinks he is. I don't, Buddy. <laughs> I don't think he is. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Now, third-party additions. Again, this was them kind of going a little bit light-ish because they didn't have all the money in the world to play with and they wanted to 
to keep it that way. Uh, Ronald Jones for about a million and a half to add to that running back room. Some people think he might actually push for a starting job. I'm not 100% certain on that yet. Uh, Clyde started on the pup for training camp. Um, he has had some some injury, it, or not even injury, medical overall issues since he got to Kansas City. So maybe Rojo's just insurance for that. Will he start? I, I still lean towards Clyde if Clyde's there, but we'll see. Um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, again, $10 million, which uh, is he a third of the receiver that Tyreek is? I'd say he's like 40%. So if you're paying for for 40% of the receiver for 30% of the money, yeah, net-net, sure, that's a value. Uh, Juju for $3.2 million is an even better value. Juju, I think, is a better receiver than 3.2. Like, he's making less than Byron Pringle is in Chicago. And if I was... The Bears, I'd rather have Juju for 3.2 than Byron for four. So that's a great deal for them. Uh, and then they spent a combined, well, technically spent a combined um, $11.3 million on just importing half the Texan secondary over. Justin Reed is a great, great young safety. He's making 10.5. And, and then they traded for Lonnie Johnson, who's still on his rookie deal, so he's making about 1.3. Now, Lonnie wants to play corner. Um, the, the, the Texan staff kind of toyed with him at safety here and there. He was not very satisfied with that at all. He's always wanted to just be a corner. So I imagine the Chiefs will stick him at corner and just see what happens. Again, there, there are some job openings there that he's going to compete for. Will he end up being a starter? Uh, tough for me to project because right now he's trying to compete with Trent McDuffie. And overall, I just see Trent McDuffie as the better player. So he'll probably be the dime corner with... Sneed, Fenton, and McDuffie being the top three, but we'll see. Again, anything could happen in camp. Um, but overall, like I think that they spent wisely here. They didn't break the bank for their own guys, so of course they weren't going to break the bank for other teams' guys. And uh, I, I kind of like this measured, conservative approach where they're not trying to, you know, step on any landmines and get themselves into any bad deals. And I, I. I really like it. I really think that they're being responsible with their money so that next year, potentially, they can move some things around and open up a whole bunch of space and, and really, really go after some big game money. It feels to me like they took some smart, measured shots. And we could start with, you know, Ronald Jones never really hit it with the Bucks the way that certainly Bucks fans wanted him to or or probably that he wanted to. I think he's got a really good shot to contribute. I don't really care about starting because starting matters so much less in the NFL for all running backs. The the true idea of a bell cow back that is getting eighty five percent of the touches for any team isn't really a fact anymore. It doesn't exist anywhere in the league. So he's gonna get touches whether or not he starts and I think he fits the mold of what Kansas City has been successful with in the past, which is not like super premier name and lights backs. Folks that are functional are good in sort of all three phases of the game. Nice balance between passing and running. Decent blockers, certainly, because nobody wants to get Pat killed. And I think Ronald Jones has a chance to come in with that level of expectation and be successful again million and a half sure you know let's see if it works if not they have other backs behind him mvs they wanted the big speed guy 
10 million seems like a lot until you realize that it's 20 and 22 and 24. And if you're talking about Devontae or Tyreek, 28 or 30, 10 million for a big guy that runs really fast and can stretch the defense in that way. Not something they really had in their receiving core. They wanted it. They get him again, fairly responsible. I realize a lot of people might look at 10 million for MVS and say, that's not responsible. That's going rate. So kind of get used to it. Juju for, uh, you know, three and a quarter. That's going to look like thievery about a third of the way into the season mm-hmm. when he's just racking up catches from Pat. He's already doing it in camp. He's been there a couple of days and he's doing the exact same thing, picking up where he left off. Justin Reed, great get. Uh, they moved on from, a, you know, half of their safety core. They needed a good young replacement. They got it. Uh, an ascending player at 25 who uh, is going to get a lot more eyeballs on him this year, quite frankly. Wasn't getting a lot of looks because he was playing for the Texans. A lot of people knew he was a good player, but not as many people watch Texans games as watch Chiefs games. So Justin Reed's profile is going to be elevated and he's up to the task. He's a good player. And Lonnie Johnson Jr. feels like a really good uh, low commitment shot, right? Spags is good with big physical corners. I'm like, all right, let's give Lonnie Johnson Jr. a shot. Like he's disgruntled with the Texans. They don't really want him anymore. We can get him for not very much. He won't have to pay him very much because, like you said, he's still on a rookie deal. If he hits and has any number of starting reps for us at all, at a million three, that's well below going right for a corner. So it feels like they took these measured shots on players that didn't necessarily work out or really hit the way they wanted to with other teams. And it feels like they have a pretty good shot with the way the Chiefs are structured to hit here. And if they don't, it's super low risk. To add on to this, I just had a realization. Speaking of relatively cheap, low risk deals for key contributors again not stars but contributors we did this um we we built this rundown a couple days ago i think and so um i forgot this deal didn't appear on it but it it occurred to me while you were talking they signed carlos dunlap today oh yeah like today today, this morning we kind of got lucky on that one (laughs) that one's huge that one actually is a in my mind and i put out a tweet that said this this is a move the needle move Like, Carlos Dunlap is not what he was, but he's still really good at doing the things that he does, and those things line up extremely well with Spagnuolo's defense. So he's not going to be a down-eater. Well, I want to clarify what that is. Go ahead. Use length, power, set the edge, crush the pocket. Spags wants to crush the pocket. That's why he's Leo Chanel. That's why he's Frank Clark. That's why Karloftis. They want to compress the pocket and keep people from running. That's what Carlos Dunlap does. He's not going to bend the edge. He's not going to be a fire breather. He's going to compress the pocket with power and length. That is what Spags wants. Perfect fit. All right, keep going. Yeah. Sorry. And no, and, and Dunlap's snap count is not going to be as high as people are used to because he's into his 30s now and he does wear down. They want to keep him fresh, but he's going to do that. He is going to forklift tackles all day long because that's what he does. So he's not going to do it as often, but when he's in there, he's still going to do it, and it fits hand-in-glove with what Spags wants that defensive line to do. So I feel like this is 
one of those moves where people go, oh, it's late in July. It's not, you know, he's old. It's not going to make that much of a difference. Eh, wrong you are, my friend. This one actually does move the needle. This is a they got better by signing Dunlap today. Well, I'm happy that we, <laughs> we waited till today to do this episode because we got to talk about it. We didn't get to talk about Reef to Chicago because they signed him like three days after we record the Bears episode, of course. Of course, yeah, but yeah. that's going to happen all summer when you're making content for every team. Sometimes you're going to be, you know, uh, we talked about, you know, the teams we started with down south. They've done a bunch of stuff, you know. That was two months ago for us at this point. So yeah, for real. It happens. Uh, all right, let's get to the draft. Now, we mentioned they got a lot of assets in the Tyreek trade, and boy, they used them well. I thought they absolutely crushed the opportunity that the Tyreek trade gave them, which was having five picks in the top 100. They were one of the draft controllers that we talked about right, right before the draft of, you know, that they had a whole bunch of assets in high value territory here. And as far as what they came out with, I mean, damn, they cr like this is honestly my favorite Chiefs draft that they've had in a long time. Like I, Veach is a good GM, but I do feel like there's been several draft classes where I'm kind of like, I get why, but it's not what I would have done. And yeah. like, there are some draft classes where there's just nobody left you know, for, for that reason. I, I have disagreed with him in the past on that kind of stuff. But this class, I would have taken pretty much everybody that he took. And, and this is not a normal thing for me and Brett Beach. We don't agree like this that often. <laughs> the Brett and Brett show? That would yeah. Be, that would be good television right there. If this was, if you're into golf and somebody steps up with a driver on the first tee, this is 385 yards right down the middle of the fairway. Oh, yeah. Absolutely just crushed. So tons of picks. Go through them as quickly as we can. But the overarching theme is I didn't really have a quibble until their second seventh round pick. Their second Wait. seventh round pick. Pacheco? Oh, sorry. Third, seventh round pick. <laughs> there you My go. bad. Yeah. No, I love Pacheco. So we're literally, we're talking about the middle of the seventh round. I'm like, yup, yup, yup. Oh, damn. They got him too. Oh, man. Yup, yup, yup. It wasn't until their very last pick, third pick in the seventh round, where I was like, I didn't watch that guy. It's not that I have anything against Z Johnson. I just didn't watch him. So let's start at the top. First round. They end up with two picks. They move around a bit. First one they make a choice at is number 21. It's Trent McDuffie, the corner from Washington. I tend to think Trent Duffy is a better inside player than an outside player. There are many, many, many people who disagree with me. I understand it. He has the skills to play outside. I think he's more of a force in the slot, moving around, being a star, you name it, especially near the line of scrimmage. He's a bit like Jalen Petrie that way for me in that mm. he makes a ton of impact both against run and pass in that sort of central right on the hash, moving around, being active, going both forward and backward. Explosive athlete. I just didn't like his tape outside as much. Um, liked his teammate Kyler Gordon a lot, who's a bear outside more. And strangely enough, the Bears are playing Kyler Gordon in the slot and the Chiefs might play McDuffie outside. So what do I Huh? Yeah. Two days in, they've repped him at that slot more than they've repped him outside. Uh, okay. I'm gonna I know. To we'll talk about that I'm going to have to re-record a film room episode then real quick. Uh -oh. <laughs> no, I think he's a boundary corner. Don't do that. I think he's going to end up at boundary corner, but they're trying him at slot. Whatever. Uh, right, Trent McDuffie okay. is a weapon. 
and they get him in the first round near the end. They make their second pick in the first round at number 30, and they get the aforementioned George, Car- George Karloftis, the Greek freak from Purdue, defensive end, much like Dunlap, a forklift, a power player, a linear, strong, big athlete who likes to push people around. Is he super shifty, super bendy, super flexy? No, he's really fast and really strong. And Spagnuolo said, yes, please. Round two, pick 54, Sky Moore. We also talked about him, the wide receiver from Western Michigan. Uh, one of the most 100-mile-an-hour players in this entire draft. Just mm-hmm. goes crazy hard every snap, releases hard, blocks hard, uh, breaks tackles like with all the energy. He just plays like the Energizer Bunny. Very skilled, very productive in that offense. I think he's going to pick up and do the same thing for the Chiefs. Their second pick in round two, number 62, Brian Cook, the safety from Cincinnati. Three cheers for this one. Love Brian Cook's game. Love his size, his hitting ability, his smarts. Uh, He was the guy that really held the field together for Cincinnati away from Sauce Gardner because Sauce Gardner got basically half the field, at least a third of the field, to just range and do whatever he wanted. Brian Cook organized and cleaned up everything else in the back third for Cincinnati. Big, strong player. Love this pick. Leo Chanel at round three, pick 94, linebacker from Wisconsin. Absolute fire breather going forward. Basically the true outside linebacker version of what George Karloftis is at defensive end. If you line both of those guys up on one side, it's going to be carnage. It's just going to be spread pieces and somebody else is going (laughs) to clean it up. Um, that's the way it was at Wisconsin. Talk about Jack Sanborn cleaning up all the messes that Leo Chanel made. Leo Chanel was the guy making the messes. He's very hard to contain. He's a crazy good athlete. Pick number 135 in round four might be my favorite overall in this draft class. Joshua Williams, cornerback with really good size from Fayetteville State. You might say, Fayetteville State, EJ, come on. All these guys you're talking about from Washington, Purdue, and Cincinnati. Wisconsin and Fayetteville State guy is your favorite? He might be, and he's showing out in the first couple of days of camp. Not surprising. Very, very skilled player. Happened to go to a smaller school. Keep an eye on Joshua Williams. He's going to play for them for a long time. Round five, pick 145. They get Darian Kennard, the offensive tackle from Kentucky. Massive dude. And mm-hmm. if they move on from Orlando Brown Jr., Kennard's going to get a look. I thought he was better guard. I rated him as a guard. Uh, they may believe that he is a tackle. He certainly has the size to play that position. If they believe that his feet can keep up with speed rushers, of which there are many all over the league, but in the AFC West especially, they will probably give him a shot at tackle. Then we get into the three seventh round picks. Number 243, Jalen Watson, cornerback from Washington State. Love, love, love this pick. And our friends over at KCSN who do a lot more detailed and nuanced analysis, especially on the defensive side for the Chiefs, also were out of their minds when Jalen Watson ended up going to the Chief. Cornerback with really good size, great range. Again, fits that mold like I talked about with Lonnie Johnson. Corners with size were physical. Um, I think Jalen Watson has every chance to stick on the 53 not the practice squad the actual 53 he's that good second pick in round seven number 251 isaiah pacheco uh or pacheco running back from Rutgers, who we saw at the shrine bowl 
is a very uh, well-built, compact runner with a lot of power. And then on day two at the Shrine Bowl, took a little swing pass and went like 70 yards down the sideline in no time flat. And I was like, okay, I thought he was something else. I didn't know he could run like that. And he did it several other times during the week. And I thought, okay, there's there's something there. He's more than just a you know really squatty Rutgers running back who runs with great power. When he gets a chance to open it up on the outside, he is fast. Yeah, and then he ran four three at the combine. Yeah, and, and was I was like, not oh, okay. surprised. Well, translates, yeah, <laughs> yeah. After that day two at the Shrine Bowl, which was still an outside practice at UNLV, he he literally took a little swing pass and just jetted by defenders who had angle on him on the sideline. They didn't touch him, and I was like, okay, I didn't know that was part of his game. Like you said, went to the combine, blew the doors off in the running back run, and you know, ends up going to the Chiefs. Uh, basically, a CEH clone with more speed, a little less receiving ability, but more speed, which is scary because we love CEH. And then we finally get to the last pick. There, Mr. Irrelevant, pick 259, Nazi Johnson, the safety for Marshall. No idea. Didn't watch Nazi Johnson tape. If that's the first thing I say about don't know or don't like and everybody else on this list, which is a very long list, is like, great, awesome, understand how they're going to use them, great value, can't believe they got them here, bam, 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 down the list, Brett Veach slayed this draft. I think it was, this draft for me was them drafting to their type, because when I look at Trent McDuffie, I could see him being either Tyron Matthew or Charvarius Ward. Like, yeah, he, he can play corner for you. But, like, for me, I was like, he's, he's a good corner. But as a safety, I thought he would be all pro caliber. So, for me, it's just throw him on the field and figure it out, which they're doing right now. You know, he they are a little bit thinner at corner, so he's, he's slated to be a corner. But, by God, he could be a, a third safety for them in that, in that Tyron type Romer role, Rover role, I should say, you know, where he's dropping down, he's robbing the middle and, you know, he plays the slot and he blitzes like he could absolutely do that shit and be amazing at it. But for now he's going to be a corner, but you could compare him to anybody on the chief secondary last year. And I I think that he could play that role. Carl Aftis um, is 100% the long-term replacement for Frank Clark. I know Frank Clark restructured. He's going to be there for at least this year and probably next year. Karloftis, to me, does everything that Frank Clark does, but with the potential to be even more because I think that he's even stronger than Frank. And so all of the, you know, the fun playoff highlights that we typically see from Clark where he gets into a tackle's chest and just absolutely lifts them up to the sky – Karloftis made his living doing that at Purdue. That's why he got triple teamed all the time is because people would have to come in and give him side shots in the ribs so he would stop walking tackles back into the quarterback. And, oh, also, he has really good hands so that he can kind of do a little... Again, he's not bendy, but if you're dropping anchor early to play against power, he can you know grab your wrist and neutralize and kind of get around you a little bit too. So long-term, he's going to be the guy on the edge for them for now he's going to pair with clark eventually he's going to replace clark in my opinion um see who else do they get uh leo chanel this one's really fun because i'm not a hundred percent sure where he's gonna play right now because they do got willie gay and they got nick bolton you know bolton I, at least playing against the run was very good 
uh, for them as a rookie. Uh, Willie Gay, they just took in the second round the year before, and then they took Chanel. Like, they're going to be in nickel so much that I, I don't know if we're ever going to see them all on the field together. And obviously, we'll I'll probably reach out to the KCSN guys and be like, hey, what's what's going on with this? When the pick first happened, how I thought it was going to be used was that Chanel was going to be the inside linebacker that gets brought in on third downs specifically early on. And it sounds a little bit weird because he's not known as, as a coverage backer. I, I'm, I'm not talking about him being a coverage backer on third down. I'm talking about him being a linebacker that gets brought out, brought down specifically on third down to line up over the center and alter protections so that Chris Jones gets his one-on-ones, so that Karloftis gets his one-on-ones, so that Frank Clark gets his one-on-ones. Because if you have Leo Chanel face mask to face mask with a center on third and seven, sorry, they're not going to allow a running back to pick him up because he will destroy that running back. The center has to take him. He has to be accounted for by an actual offensive lineman that weighs 300 plus because he is way too powerful and way too explosive for anything other than that to handle it. So if that takes the center sliding out and helping against Chris Jones out of the equation, he's already paid for himself because you're giving Chris Jones one-on-ones. If his one value as a rookie is giving Chris Jones one-on-ones by virtue of just existing, (laughs) he is worth that pick. So that's how I think he's going to be used early on. And then eventually, yeah, he'll probably be an every down starter for them. But for now, that's where I see it. Uh, Darian Kennard, they don't need him at all, but... He was there, and they're like, well, we're, we can't say no, you know? So I think that he's probably going to compete for the uh, the swing guard spot for them. He played tackle in college, but I think he's more suited at guard. So I would be willing to bet that he's going to compete with Allegretti for the swing guard spot behind Tooney and Trey Smith. Again, he will never play in front of Tooney or Trey Smith. But if you're getting a very high-quality swing guard in the fifth round, absolutely worth the pick. Um, Andrew Wiley's probably going to be the starting right tackle over Niang. Anyway, it's neither here nor there. We're, we're speculating. This comes out in two weeks. We'll probably know the answer by then. <laughs> uh, and then Pacheco, as you mentioned, I think he's a really, really fun running back prospect. Um, Clyde and Rojo will probably be the top two. Jarek is, is more of a special teams guy at this point in his career. I don't think Jarek is going to be any threat to get a significant number of carries. Pacheco, if we're just talking about who the actual RB3 on the roster is to get carries, I think it's Pacheco, and I think he makes the team specifically because of that, because he does have that explosive long speed that the other running backs on the roster at this point just don't have. It's a great job by their front office to take those assets and give them as many high-quality lottery tickets as they could get, and just about every one of those looks like it could hit. Will they all hit? Of course not. That's not how the draft works. But right now, boy, there's a lot of contributions, a lot of snaps for this year and years down the road. That's how deep and talented this class is. UDFA, they brought in a lot of players. That's a Brett Veach hallmark. They always bring in a lot of players to look at, and I applaud him for doing that. Uh, really only going to talk about three of these guys. First one is Jerrion Ely, the running back from Mississippi, who I have no idea, no earthly idea how he didn't get drafted. Very talented two-way running back. 
dangerous, dangerous in the pass game. People look at him size-wise and say, oh, he's just a scat back. No, he's a very good runner. He's one of those small runners that hides behind the tackles really well. Was super productive for Lane Kiffin in the old, old Miss offense playing with Matt Corral down there. So them getting him for free feels unfair. I think they should have to throw him back into the pool. Justin Ross, the wide receiver from Clemson, super talented. One of the best freshman seasons on record at Clemson. Scary injury to his neck. Came back. Didn't look like the same player. The medical red flags took him off the board for just about everybody. Chiefs are always willing to take a gamble. Uh, bring Justin Ross in. A um, lot of early hype in rookie minicamp, OTAs, making plays. Um, he's already on IR. That was, uh, from what I hear from the KCSN guys, already expected. It's a bummer. Um, really hoping that he can get back to what he was because his ability to catch the football is outstanding. Like, he made some catches at college that I don't, I just haven't seen people make uh, in competition. So I want him, want him to get healthy. I want to see that on the field again, whether he ever contributes anything for the Chiefs. Unknown, but they took the shot. And then Mike Rose, the linebacker from Iowa State. I, you know, not my favorite linebacker, but I thought, hey, there's something here. And there are a few teams throughout the league that really dig um, what Mike Rose does. He's a fire plug. He's tough, holds the middle, cleans things up really smart doesn't have the greatest range isn't the greatest in pass coverage but i thought hmm, there's a couple of teams and kansas city's one of the teams in that they took nick bolton now nick to his credit and if i'm taking an l here really developed at the end of last year not just as a run defender but he started to be a good two-way defender and that was my major knock against nick was that he was a great run defender and he really seemed pretty limited uh, in pass coverage. Maybe it's just what they asked him to do in college. Not exactly sure. In Kansas City, he grew leaps and bounds in the second half of last year. So uh, I looked at him more as just the plugger type, and I'm looking at Mike Rose the same way, so maybe I'll take a similar L on a UDFA in a couple of years' time. <laughs> uh, but again, they get him for free. He's a talented player. The thing that I really like about Rose, and, and you can go back, and I think his his combine workouts on YouTube um, – you look at his feet and his hips in the movement drills, and he's really fluid and, especially for a guy who's like 240 pounds, really fluid yeah. and really he's got like piston feet. Is he the most explosive linebacker ever in short areas or, you know, his crazy range? Like you, like you said, no. But in terms of efficiency of movement and kind of being able to duck, dodge, dip, dive, and dodge and kind of weave through traffic, and it, like he's really really nifty and i was i was honestly surprised that that he didn't get drafted because i felt like he was better than a lot of linebackers that did get drafted um you know i, I had him ranked as a 100 percent draftable linebacker pretty yep. much anywhere from the fifth on so you know seeing him go completely udfa was was surprising to me and he is in a, a crowded locker room at this point because you know you got gay and bolton and chanel and um who else they got there they got, uh, oh, they got Jermaine Carter, Darius Harris. Yeah, they got a lot of dudes there, but I don't know. I still feel like he's too good not to make the roster, at least in a special teams capacity for now. And then we'll see what happens with Gay and Bolton in the coming years. And obviously with Leo in the coming years. 
I don't know. I think he's going to carve out a career for himself. I think he's he's a very underrated prospect. Justin Ross, you know, obviously just tragic. Everything that's happened to him for the last four-ish years or so. I think the Justin Ross story is one of the best arguments for the existence of NIL in college right now. Because you look at some of the deals that not just people are getting after their freshman year in college where they're getting seven-figure deals like Jordan Addison, but even guys going into college in Justin Ross was a highly recruited kid and they're making money that will last them for many, many years to come and in some cases an entire lifetime. He would have gotten those types of deals 100%. either before he got to Clemson or after that freshman year. Like He would have got a seven-figure deal. And because the rules didn't exist until, unfortunately, after he left college, he was not afforded that opportunity. And I think that it's it's tragic because I don't know if he's ever going to make anything in the NFL. Like, he, his medicals are so bad at this point. I don't know if he's ever going to have an NFL career. But if NIL existed when he was at Clemson, he probably would have made a couple million dollars and been okay for the rest of his life. Like, you, you can invest $2 million wisely and have no NFL career and be okay for the rest of your life. He won't have that opportunity, and it sucks. So I'm happy we have NIL now, but it should have happened a long time ago for guys like him. Um, and I, I really hope that I really hope that a lot of young receivers that are in college right now learn from the Justin Ross story. And even though you're at Pitt, if USC comes knocking and says, we're going to give you millions of dollars to come transfer to us, you say, yes, sir, where do I sign? Because you never know when it's all going to be over. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's unfortunate that he has to be the sort of example in that way when he could have been an example in, in lots of other ways, and it is it is rugged. I do hope that he heals up enough to play in the NFL because he's got the talent to do it, but we've seen a lot of guys with tons of talent whose bodies, injuries, we see it every year. We just saw Chris Carson you know, end his career before he would have. Uh, he was getting to the end of his career, but he would have run for another couple of years, had a neck injury, and that was that. Said, no, I can't do that anymore. And we see even much younger players do that. And when it happens again after such a tremendous freshman year, so early in a college career for a guy that looked like an absolute meteor in terms of talent, it's it's tough. It's really hard. And because college didn't get out of its own way, and create something and nil had to come in but like you said later it's really tough to see guys like that and all the generations of players before that that could have had something and ended up with a nasty injury and and never even you know had a chance to go to the league undrafted or otherwise because they'd been you know done for two years because of an injury they suffered in college there are thousands of those players and and i will write some of those wrongs and i feel better about that i don't feel good about that but i feel better about that now final segment team floor team ceiling this is the the ceiling in wins that we have for the chiefs as well as the potential floor in wins that we have for the chiefs just like every other afc west team the kaiju division as we've said this entire week for me 13 win ceiling nine win floor i basically just copy and pasted every single day this week because to me all of them can get there and especially when your quarterback is Patrick Mahomes I understand there were losses 
the Tyreek loss is it's important but not not you know world ending for them uh you know Tyron's gone but you still get Justin Reed you know you're still spending a lot of the picks on still improving the secondary and you get McDuffie and you got Karloftis you got Chanel like they got so many assets out of the Tyreek trade that I still think they came out well ahead of Miami in that deal so I'm, I'm not willing to drop them below 13 just because Tyreek is gone because they're still an extremely talented team they're deeper now than they were last year at several positions and I think that Patrick Mahomes is a good enough quarterback that he can find 1200 yards elsewhere like he's he's fucking Patrick Mahomes like how often do we have to keep saying this he's not gonna be made or broken by one receiver he is too good if Tom Brady you know, looking at what he did after Randy Moss can still go to a whole bunch of Super Bowls and still win a whole bunch of Super Bowls even after working with Randy and even after working with Josh Gordon and after working with AB. If he can do that, I think that Mahomes can as well because to me, I, I see Mahomes as potentially one day being in that same Tom Brady category where it's not about who he's playing with. It's about how he's playing and elevating the people he's playing with. So I, again, it hurts, but it's not going to crush them. They're still potentially no. going to be a 13 win team and they'll be fine. And I mean, everything would have to bottom out for them to get to nine. Pat would have to get hurt again. Uh, you know, the offensive line, like maybe Orlando just never shows up and they just don't have a left tackle. That would suck. Maybe that would cost them a win or two. Maybe, but it, it, there are so many things that have to go wrong for them to be a under double digit win team. And it's things that I just don't think are going to happen. I hope not because this is a really fun team to watch at full strength. And I don't think maybe there are some interdivisional fans that uh, don't want to see Patrick Mahomes healthy, but I think all NFL fans deeply want to see Patrick Mahomes healthy because it's like how far can he take it how good can he be you don't you don't want to see that guy on the sideline it's just better football when he's on the field and yeah he'll probably grind your team into dust if you end up playing him but <laughs> you still have respect for that so for me I went to the ceiling same ceiling you did which is up one from my previous three which I all put at 12 wins because I said the division was so brutal and it is so brutal but he is also so Pat Mahomes, and I think that keeps them in the running for that extra win, the 13th win as opposed to the 12th win. So my ceiling's 13 as well. My floor is 9, and it would take a lot for this Chiefs team to only win 9. They would have to – that's the thing is I, I'm not even sure. I probably should have put the ceiling or the floor at 10 because we've seen them weather – just about everything bad offensive line plays injuries to pat an early season slide that looked like it was going to be a tailspin they couldn't pull out of they pulled out of all of it right they ended up going to the freaking super bowl in the year when the offensive line was a shambles kind of mm -hmm. kind of like cincinnati last year like i mahomes is just so good my belief that they could do anything to get below nine wins. I'm like, well, what would that be then? <laughs> because it wouldn't be one thing. It would be multiple things. And then you have that rock solid coaching staff that's good at adjusting, not just setting their ways. So tons of experience and flexible. 
deadly combination. I just I can't imagine what the thing would be to take them down that far, despite how ultra competitive we think this division is going to be. They are the king for a reason. And like we said at the top of the show, until you kill the king, <laughs> sorry, can't bet against him. Still the king. Still the king. Still Pat Mahomes, still Andy Reid, still Steve Spagnolo. still got great linebackers, secondary's better. I, I don't know. I just, they're going to be there in the end. They always are. They always will be. As long as that dude's throwing the ball, they're going to be just fine. But are they our pick to win the division? tough to say we know they're going to make the playoffs we know they're going to make the playoffs but are we picking them to win the division you're going to have to tune in tomorrow to find out we're doing all of our afc west predictions that's mvp of the division offense player of the year defense player of the year coach of the year rookie of the year and division winner we're predicting everything in the afc west tomorrow i still don't know what my answer is not gonna lie still don't know what my answer is i'm probably not gonna have it until about 10 minutes before we record because i am going back and forth over and over again between denver chargers raiders chiefs they all have an argument they're all amazing teams they're all going to cannibalize the absolute shit out of each other this year and that's why i can't wait because they're all going to be great and i'm going to watch every single afc west in division game because they're all going to be playoff games let's be honest they're all going to be playoff games so come back tomorrow Talking all things AFC West from all four teams' perspective. It'll be our last, unfortunately, AFC West show of the year till we get into the season. But uh, it's okay. We're closing out the entire series next week with an equally ridiculous division, almost equally ridiculous, in the NFC West because there is no shortage of good quarterbacks and good teams there too. So see you back here tomorrow, same time, same place. And until then, later. Take care. Take care.